Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of The Switzer Show. Of course, I'm Peter Switzer and today I'm joined by the most illustrious and greatest cardiologist on the planet, Dr. Ross Walker, to take a closer look at your heart health. Ross, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks, Peter. I'll give you that 50 bucks later. (laughs) Well, I've got to say, whenever you introduce me, you go over the top as well. Uh, Look, the, the reason why we've got you here, we ask you some really important questions. I believe uh, men in particular, but I guess you you probably would tell me men and women often have a lot of um, uh, black spots or blind spots when it comes to good health Mm. and living life properly. So give us an overview of men's health in Australia, especially around heart health. What do we need to know? Well, I think the first thing we need to know is heart disease is still our biggest killer. Cancer is closing in. But the reality is about 50,000 people, men and women, will die in Australia every year. The statistics Number say, again? 50,000 people. Ooh. The statistics say very clearly that there is a death from heart disease once every 12 minutes. And, and we are talking about men's health today, but let me make the point. Women get just as much heart disease as men. They just get it 10 years later because they're protected by their hormones until menopause. So we're not just talking about something that affects men. And I think we should we should make that point so clearly. The difference between men and women as far as heart disease goes, mm-hmm. men, as you know, Pete, are pretty unidimensional. You know, give them a, a remote control on a TV and they're fine. Yeah. But, but they tend to get more the Hollywood heart attack, which is the crushing central chest pain going up to the throat and down the arms. Uh, but I, I have many patients, Peter, who present in different ways with their heart disease. So mm. we, we know that with men as well. So yeah. it's not just you have to have chest pain when you're walking up a hill. But I, I, I'll tell you a story. Oh, about I've got heart pain just doing this interview. I, I, it's psychosomatic. Is, can people can psychosomatically make feel like they've got a heart issue when they're talking about it? They're oh, sure, nervous sure. or worried about it? Yeah, because that's called the Heisenberg principle, which right. is the observer affects the experiment. Okay. And so if someone thinks they've got symptoms mm. and they start to feel tight in the chest, the more tight they feel, the more they've got symptoms. And so, yes, anxiety can make it all worse. Okay. But I've got to say North Shore did a study a few years ago, and it was a very elegant study to show that within two hours of getting acutely angry or acutely anxious about anything, mm. you increase your heart attack rate eight times. So it, it's the little mm. boy who cried wolf. So somebody yeah. who says, oh, it's just anxiety, it's just anxiety, it also could be cardiac symptoms. Yeah, and I guess that's the bottom line lesson there is that if you're living a high-pressured life where you're encountering antagonism and aggression mm. all the time, that makes you a candidate. Oh, it certainly does, because when that happens, you're releasing all of these stress hormones. So we've got five happy hormones and two significant stress hormones. And we want to get a balance between those, obviously more happy than stress. But those stress hormones are adrenaline and cortisone. And what adrenaline does is constrict arteries and put up your blood pressure. And what cortisone does is put up your blood pressure and weaken arteries. So if you've got constricted weak arteries, they can easily rupture. So if you're under stress and you're releasing those, those hormones into your bloodstream, then, then you're in, in trouble. And also, if you're under stress on, at a chronic level, 
not only are you releasing those bad hormones chronically, but also you don't tend to look after yourself as well. You mm. don't tend to look at your diet. You think, I couldn't be bothered to exercise. I'm so stressed. Yeah. And, and you don't sleep as well. And you might drink too much or maybe smoke and do all the wrong You're things that are bad for you. The problem. Absolutely. So mm. stress, stress is a killer. It's very, and I've got to say, I've been doing this job for 40 years. I don't think I've seen one person who had an acute coronary syndrome like a heart attack or unstable angina or sudden cardiac death who wasn't under some form of stress at the time. And there are five categories of stressors we've got to think about. Mm-hmm. Number one is emotional stress, and please show me someone who doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Number two is mental stress. You're under the pump at work. There was a thing called the Whitehall study of 20,000 British civil servants over a 20-year period, and it showed that the, the middle managers, not the bosses, so people who suffered what they call job strain, which is high demand, low control, they were the ones that had the high rates of high blood pressure and heart attacks. So work stress is not good for you. Number three is physical stress. And I'm not just talking about the physical stress of exercise. I'm talking about the fat guy who has to run for the bus, mm-hmm. who doesn't usually exercise, yeah. or these idiots that climb Mount Everest. Yeah. It's not just the, the steep climb, it's the low, low oxygen and freezing cold temperatures, yeah. or the, the, the physical stress of chronic pain or an operation. Then there's, uh, then there's what I call pharmacologic stress legal or illegal stimulants whether it be too much grog too much coffee or any illegal drugs that can also i've got, I've got a patient in his 30s went out for a, a bucks party had a few lines of coke and had a major heart attack with it so people who say oh safe testing at dance parties is good well it might be better but it doesn't mean that the pure stuff can't harm you as well and then finally there's infective stress so you're going along fine then you get influenza or pneumonia or a tooth abscess. Mm. That can inflame your arteries and cause a heart attack as well. So there's all these stressors that can bring it on and everyone has to be aware of this, men and women. When should we start taking our heart health seriously? I, this is, I'm being a bit trite here, but from- You trite? How could no, you do no, that? No, I'm just, I'll, I'll make an <laughs> exception for this one. But it's preconception to the grave. So the the the- Unfortunately, the the telling facts here are that if you really look after yourself as a man and woman before you conceive, so we're talking about three to six months before conception, that can have a a positive or negative effect on your child if you're looking after yourself well Mm. or looking after yourself badly. So if you are smoking, if you're drinking too much, if you're using illegal drugs, a study came out the other week that that men who smoke one joint a week, everyone says, oh, marijuana is harmless, let's legalise it. What nonsense. You smoke one joint a week, you double the rate of miscarriage in your partner by having one joint a week. So, So I'm saying we should start thinking about our health preconception to the grave and it's never too late to start but in terms of when should you start getting really serious about it well I, I for example if I have a person who's had heart disease in their 50s 60s and 70s they say to me when should my children be checked I say well look we should probably start about age 30 why why is 30 a good age because people in their 20s think they're bulletproof yeah. so they don't tend to look after themselves and you said to someone in their 20s I found a problem I want you to start taking this pill for the rest of your life as if that's going to happen yeah. so Age 30 is a good time to start doing some testing. Age 50 is when we really start doing the testing. And the best screen for heart disease, and I've spoken to you about this on numerous occasions, is the coronary calcium score. It's a a CT scan that takes a non-invasive picture of your heart 
and zero is what you want. So 50% of males age 50 have a zero score, but then if you're a pessimist, 50% don't. Mm. 50% of females age 60 have a zero score, but 50% don't. So it's 50 is the good time for males to start, 60 for females to start having the coronary calcium score to see where you are. Yeah. And that is the mm. best predictive test for heart disease risk. Some people will say part of the reason why women um, don't have as, uh, have heart issues as early as men because mm. men often make very bad food choices. I was mm. out recently with a, a woman who was were having lunch and she said to the waiter, I'll have a, a bloke salad, please. And the waiter looked at her really strange. A bloke salad? She said, yeah, chips. So yeah, 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 so, yeah. Is, that tr- is that true that because a lot of men do think they're bulletproof, mm. it's not – fact that they do silly exercises and drink too much they often eat bad food does that increase the chances of a heart of an artery issue if they are genetically predisposed all heart disease Mm. is genetic Mm. and and everyone has to understand that so i'll give you two really good examples the worst coronary calcium score i have now anything over 400 is bad Mm. this man is a 68 year old man in the fitness industry doesn't have an ounce of body fat Normal cholesterol, blood pressure, never smoked, not diabetic and no family history, but he has an elevated lipoprotein little A. Mm. His coronary calcium score is 8,500. Now, a good mate of mine who you know very well is a, one of Sydney's top surgeons, and this guy is significantly overweight. He's diabetic, hypertensive, 66 years old. Coronary calcium score is zero God. because he has rock-solid genetics, whereas this other guy has lousy genetics, but... Had the other guy been a profligate self-abuser, one of those people who ate the crappy food and did all the wrong things, he would have probably died in his 40s. But yeah. because of his very good lifestyle, it took him to age 68 before he presented to me with very minor symptoms. But when I did the calcium score and the stress echo, straight in the hospital, I had bypass surgery. Okay. So what are some of the practical ideas of what you can and can't do for your heart health? Okay. The first thing... Is, is to know exactly where you are. So to have the appropriate test to see what level of risk you're at. So I don't care about people's cholesterol. I care about their level of risk. And if they're at high risk, then I'll hammer their cholesterol, their blood pressure, etc. So have the right sort of assessments with a doctor who's knowledgeable about preventative health, especially... So the first one is the calcium score? Yeah, the, the calcium score, but appropriate blood tests like lipoprotein at lay. Yeah, yeah. And there's a new test out now called the PULSE score, P-U-L-S score. Now it's expensive. It's $500, not covered by Medicare because it has to be sent to America. But what this test does is tell you whether your plaques in your arteries are stable or unstable. So the calcium score tells you you've got plaques, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't say anything about the stability, whether they're going to rupture. But this pulse score measures these biomarkers in your bloodstream that tells you whether your arteries are about to rupture. So I'm using that now with the calcium score and a few other tests like lipoprotein Mm. and delay and and looking for for diabetes and other factors Mm. to see exactly where my people are. So that's the first thing. Where are you now? But secondly, and and this is, in my view, 80% of the management of anyone, whether they've got heart disease or not, is the five key lifestyle factors. So number one, you cannot be healthy and smoke, drink too much grog or snort cocaine. So anyone who has any addictions is sick. 
Number two is good quality sleep. Seven to eight hours of good quality sleep every night is as good for your body as not smoking. Number three is nutrition. And nutrition is something that there's been a whole lot of nonsense that's been put out about nutrition over the last 50, 60 years, and we have to start dispelling the myths here. Nutrition's easy. Eat less food, eat more natural food. So when you hear anyone in the medical field say saturated fat is linked to heart disease, they're not looking at the latest studies. Mm. The latest studies show clearly there is no link between eating meat, eggs and dairy and heart disease. Now, people want to be vegetarian or vegan for animal rights reasons or for environmental reasons. I admire that. But don't get there and tell me that there's a health benefit because there's no evidence for it. So the evidence shows that if you have a lot of processed foods, a lot of what I call white death, which is processed carbohydrates like sugar, uh, white bread, rice, pasta, potatoes in big doses. I'm not saying never eat it. So white rice with a bit of sushi is not going to threaten you. No, but, but if you're, no. you're lying into white rice every night of the yeah. week. And, and, and also... The, the Chinese have survived yeah, on white no, rice. No, no, but people say you go to rural China, 80% yeah. of their diet is in rice. Mm. But they only take in 1,200 calories a day. Yeah. So this is Small the key eaters, here. Yeah. If you're only getting 1,200 calories a day and you don't have any body fat, it doesn't matter what the mix of yeah. food is. But in our society, the average male would have between two and a half to 3,500 calories per day. And, and How much should he be having? We should be having probably about 1,800 to 2,000 calories yeah, tops. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and, and if you want to lose weight, you probably should be having 1,500 calories. Yeah. Now, not that you'd ever do this, Pete, but if you go into one of those takeaway food outlets with the arches <laughs> yeah. and you had a Big Mac, French fries and a thick shake, there's your 1,500 calories in one hit. Mm. And, and see, so the system is much more geared to sin than it is penance. You go for a brisk half an hour walk, you burn 300 calories. You have a small piece of chocolate cake, there's 300 calories. So that's the problem. If people want to lose weight, and, and if all my patients put an effort into losing weight, I'd be twiddling my thumbs all day. Yeah. But when you want to lose weight, it's 80% food, 20% exercise. So eat less, eat more naturally. Now then we go into number four, which I've just mentioned, which is exercise. If you have a three to five hour a week exercise habit, that is the sweet spot that really shows great benefit. But today a study came out showing that even doing 50 minutes of running per week reduces your risk for heart disease just under 30%. Mm. But I, I, 50 minutes in one go? Or yeah, you could do it in one go. You could do, you could do three, 10 minutes over five yeah, days. Five tens. Yeah, so mm. it doesn't matter how you do it. Okay. But, but the point, this is the tragedy here. 25% of the population do no exercise. And 50% of the population don't do the recommended dose of exercise. So people say to me, oh, Doc, I go to the gym for a half an hour twice a week. But the rest of the days they're sitting on their bum. Mm. And, and so you've got to have that sweet spot. So that the, all the studies show the three to five hours a week of, of exercise reduces your risk for cardiovascular disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, depression and diabetes by 30%, reduce your risk for osteoporosis 50%, drops your blood pressure and you sleep better. There is no pharmaceutical preparation known to man that scratches the toenails of exercise. So that's number four. Mm. Number five, best drug on the planet is a thing called happiness. And if people who are happier get on with the people around them, enjoy their life, they have much less disease than people who don't. And when they do get sick, they get quick, better quicker. So what you're saying is that if you've got someone in your, your life who's always stressing you out, you can say, you're killing me, you're yeah, killing yeah. me. And I say to my patients all the time, don't give anyone else the power to cause your heart attack. So, <laughs> so it's and, and a study came out just recently showing that loneliness, which is becoming an increasing problem in society, mm. Loneliness is, is related to a much higher rate of heart disease, three times in women and 
double in men just by being lonely, people who perceive themselves to be lonely. So so those five keys are really important, yep. okay? But there are other things we can do as well. So we're on the subject of practical ideas. Yep. Yeah. So, so the other things we can do is is appropriately use pharmaceutical therapy when it's there there for you. So there is nothing wrong with orthodox medicine. When you're having a heart attack, don't go to a naturopath. Mm. Get to a hospital and get a stent in your arteries. Mm. But also, also, even that, so stenting, bypass surgery, all the treatments we have these days, mm. statin therapy, blood pressure therapy, for appropriate people. Now, mm. personally, I believe statin drugs to lower your cholesterol, like Lipitor and Crestor and Zocor mm. and Pravacol, are the most over-prescribed drugs in the world, except for people who need them. So you're not saying they don't work, but no, they, they're, they're definitely They're over-prescribed yeah. for people who don't. So let me tell you who needs them. Mm. The people who need statins are people who've had a bypass, a stent, or a heart attack, or a stroke. They're, they're the people who will benefit from them or people that have a high coronary calcium score. But I, I've just come back from uh, Paris at the European Society of Cardiology meeting, a small meeting of 33,000 people. Oh. And one of the, and one you're of, the best on the planet. That's no, extraordinary. Hang on, go. Stop it. Um, and uh, and the, one of the presenters there presented a study show, showing clearly if your coronary calcium score is below 100, there is no benefit from being on statins, regardless of your cholesterol level. Yeah. So the calcium score is key, but also it's a, if you need therapy, take the therapy. But then number four here is the appropriate use of supplements. And there's a whole range of supplements that may assist you in the prevention of heart disease and in the management of heart disease if you're on the appropriate therapy. And then finally, there's appropriate follow-up. So you don't just go and have your treatment. It's important to have a long-term relationship with a trusted doctor who can help supervise. Just in your situation, Peter, you're, you're giving financial advice to people, but you don't just give it once. You have an ongoing management yeah. of that person. Yeah. Well, doctors are exactly the same. So don't just go and have your treatment and think, I'm cured now. You're never cured. You need ongoing supervision. Okay. So what heart health diets would, would you recommend and why? And I think you've touched on it already, I've but just in a but, nutshell. But, but in a nutshell... The best diets are diets that are centered around fruit and vegetables. Mm. So the best diet in the world that has all the best studies is the Mediterranean diet. And that basically is two or three pieces of fruit per day, three to five servings of vegetables, servings about a half a carrot. So we're not talking mm. a huge amount of food, but that should be the, the center of everyone's diet. And then with that, little bits of meat, eggs, dairy, chicken, fish, nuts, olive oil. There's your Mediterranean diet. Mm. Keep away from all the processed packaged crap that I've mentioned. Do, do we as Australian males um, have too much red meat? I, like I like red meat, but yeah. I, I figure there are blokes out there who have bacon for breakfast, yep. a ham roll at lunchtime, and a big steak at night. Yeah, well, you see, firstly, the big problem there is the processed meats, the ham and the bacon, yeah. and that has been associated with pe people have very high intake of that, mm. probably a 40% increase in cardiovascular disease. There's no studies to show that, that red meat in its natural form, so not, not the processed stuff, mm. is associated with heart disease. Yeah. In fact, a study called the Pure Study that came out last year of 220,000 people followed in 50 different countries for nine years, huge mm. study, showed that people had, had 100 grams of red meat per day and three servings of high-fat dairy per day had a 25% reduction in death and cardiovascular disease. But do I suggest my patients have red meat every day? No, but if you enjoy red meat, 
couple of times a week. It's not going to hurt you at all. Mm. And just don't char grill it and don't have processed meat. So it's it's the char grilling of meat. So people have well done steaks or mm. heavily barbecued steaks. They create these chemicals called nitrosamines that not only can increase your risk for heart disease, but certainly things like bowel cancer as well. So keep away from the char grilling of, of steaks. So uh, when you go to a restaurant and they ask you how you want your steak done, what do you say? Oh, medium rare always. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, anything else, Ross, on, on that subject? Yeah, not, not so much on diets, mm. but I, I think we should now start talking about what sort of supplements are good for people yeah, as well. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier, and yeah. I know historically you've said that you believe they can be really good to improve the quality of your blood, and then that yeah. is, a, is a positive. Yeah, right? uh, look, I th- and I think we've got to understand these things are called supplements, not replacements. Mm. So I, I have a number of patients who come in, they've got a big fat gut or a fag hand in their mouth, and they think the 10 vitamins they take every day is going to do something. It's yeah. complete nonsense. Yeah. You've got to look after yourself first. Lifestyle is four times more powerful than any pill or potion you can put in your mouth. But, for, for example, many people lack energy. Now, why are we lacking energy as we get older? One of the reasons for that is is we may have a medical condition that creates fatigue, such as an iron deficiency or a thyroid problem or a heart or a Mm. kidney problem or whatever. I mean, the commonest symptom of, say, rheumatoid arthritis is fatigue, not pain in your joints. But there is also, within the cell, there's a little fuel pack called the mitochondria. And so, for example, you can drive the flashiest car on the planet But if it doesn't have a fuel source or an energy source, it's not going to move. So what this mitochondria does is fuel the cells. And it creates a thing called ATP. Now, one of the great drivers of ATP is a thing called coenzyme Q10. And the active version of coenzyme Q10, ubiquinol, drives those mitochondria. So in my view, gives you more energy. Mm. So for people who are lacking energy... There's a number of different scientific studies to show that the ubiquinol gives you gives you extra benefit, extra energy, less stress, and, and in fact improves sports performance. A couple of studies have come out on athletes showing that it actually improves their performance and it's a legal supplement, mm. absolutely legal supplement. I, 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 in the past, I've come across members of the medical fraternity are, are happy to recommend you take fish oil mm-hmm. um, or vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Is the medical fraternity sort of supportive of, of those sort of supplements generally? No, no. Gen- generally, I'd say most doctors will say all vitamins do is give you expensive urine. Yeah. But as I say, and you've heard me say this, yeah. you mentioned that before, it also gives you expensive blood because yeah. there are a number of studies showing a benefit from taking supplements. Yeah. Now, again... When you look at something like a statin drug, because it's a pharmaceutical drug, that has to be shown to stop you from having heart attacks and stop you from having any further events like a stroke or sudden death. And the evidence shows there at 20 to 30%. But this is in studies of, of say, five to 10 to 20,000 people. Now, the, the supplement companies can't afford those studies, so you have to look at what I call the surrogate markers. And because they're supplements, they don't have the potential for the same degree of side effects that pharmaceutical drugs do. So if you can show, for example, that ubiquinol does improve the coenzyme Q10 levels and maybe the muscle pain you might get from taking some drugs, then, then I think there is a benefit from thinking about taking ubiquinol. So, for example, I'm over 50, as you well know. And it I, doesn't show. I know it doesn't show. I mean, it's a miracle Amazing. of nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a great face for radio. Yeah. Um, but, but 
I, I take ubiquinol every day just to give me energy. Yeah. So I'm not on any medications to... Didn't help me in the tennis court, mate, when I was betting you the other day. Yeah, I know. Well, I do have severe arthritis <laughs> in my right, right knee. So no, I'd play me, to that as well. Give, give me, yeah, I, know, <laughs> I know you did. You weren't, you weren't at all kind. But I did take my ubiquinol so I could run around the court. Yeah, you, yeah. you were pretty, yeah. pretty um, um, hobbling. agile yeah, yeah. Uh, in, a, in a hobbling kind of way. Um, now, there was a time, I'm sharing a personal experience for me, there was a time when I spent a lot of time indoors doing painting in a, in a house that we have. Ooh. And so I didn't get much sunlight. And I went to the doctor and said, you got a, a vitamin D deficiency. deficiency? Yeah. Now, I think he recommended that I take vitamin D tablets then. Yeah, or capsules, yeah. Capsules, yeah, yeah. But that was a, a case of a doctor recommending a supplement, That's good. Wasn't it? Yeah, that's good. So, but, so, so not all supplements are frowned on. Oh, no, no, no. They're, they're not all. For example, folic acid is commonly prescribed to women during pregnancy. Yeah. There's some evidence there. And, and people say, oh, fish oil doesn't do much at all. But there's a big study that came out recently of about 135,000 people given omega-3 supplements and, and showed about an 8% reduction in cardiovascular disease up to five years. But the Mayo Clinic published something a few years ago showing beyond five years taking fish oil, an 18% reduction. But here's the problem, Pete. Homo sapiens as a species are a sorry lot. If I line up a whole lot of people and prescribe them any drugs or supplements, after 12 months, 50% have stopped. Yeah. So all the evidence... Yeah, we're too the, busy to look after ourselves. Well, but you see, but all the yeah. evidence for the benefits of supplements yeah. come from people who are in it for the long haul, taking it beyond five years, beyond 10 years. Yeah. It's going to so, become a lifestyle thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lifestyle thing. It just becomes a habit. There. And for, for example, there's a little-known university in, in the US called Harvard. Never heard and, of and, no, 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 most people haven't. Yeah. So Harvard, Harvard University have been doing for the last 30 years the Nurses' Health Study and the Male Physicians' mm -hmm. Trial. Yeah. And it showed that up to when you've taken a multivitamin every day for 20 years, there's a 44% reduction in further heart attacks. So, so look, there's there's benefits across the board, I believe, from taking supplements, but you have to look at the science. Mm, okay. So your top heart health tips and techniques. Have we covered that, do you think? Yeah, yeah I think we have. I, I, I think you did that brilliantly. What are some of the current heart health studies out there and what can we learn from them? You've mentioned a few of them. But is there any you haven't mentioned that people should be aware of? I, I, I think we, if, if you look at people have heart issues, mm. there's a lot of studies to support the benefits of ubiquinol, the benefits of omega-3s, the benefits of the, uh, the bergamot that I talk about all the time that I have the association with, which comes from Calabrian oranges. There's, I've already mentioned multivitamins. There's... Um, Vitamin K2, which takes the calcium out of your arteries and puts it back in your bones, so you're getting the benefit from reduced stiffness in the arteries and improved bone strength. So, so there's all there's also a thing called kyolic garlic, which is great for blood pressure. And a mate of mine in in California did a study where he used CT angiography and showed reversal of fatty plaques by using a big dose of kyolic garlic. So I've, I've just given. A few examples. I could talk about this for another hour, and I know mm. we don't have the time. Yeah. But there are good. There's good scientific papers out there to show the global benefit from taking certain supplements in for certain situations. Okay. Yeah. To wrap up, you also uh, recommend for good health meditation. Mm. Explain to our audience what meditation can do in terms of improving health. Right. Okay. I've been meditating personally for about 25 years. I do it every day for, for at least a half an hour. Sometimes if, I, if I've got the extra time, I might even do it for an hour. Mm. 
And what meditation does is take you into a very deep, blissful state. So I mentioned the five happy chemicals yeah. in the body. One of them is anandamide. So mm. you remember the anandamaga? Oh, yes, yes. But, but this anandamide is well, the... Is they, they put bombs in garbage. Yeah, didn't they? Let's, let's not go there. <laughs> but, but this anandamide is the bliss chemical. It's one of the cannabinoids, a bit like all the, the medical cannabis we've spoken about before. So this anandamide is, is when you feel that... that that situation of bliss within your body, that yeah. tingling, wonderful feeling, you're releasing all this anandamide into your circulation. What meditation does is get you down to that level, markedly reduces the unhappy or stress hormones and markedly increases all of the, the happy chemicals in the, in the body. Now, studies in circulation, so one of the greatest heart journals in the world, have shown that people who are regular meditators have a 50% reduction in heart disease just by going into silence for a half an hour every day mm. so people say oh, i've got enough time for this you're a long time dead well ross i think we've covered it all is there anything you think else you'd like to add to this wonderful collection of uh, well, heart health tips yeah i'd like to finish off with what i call the walker rule number one of medicine the walker rule number one of medicine is very straightforward the most important coronary arteries in this world are your own if you're not prepared to look after them, why should I as a cardiologist bother? So put the effort into your own health because it's the most important aspect of your life. You can be as wealthy as you like, but if you haven't got good health, you can't enjoy that wealth. Ross Walker, the greatest cardiologist in the planet, on my personal opinion. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Switzer program. My pleasure. Mm -hmm.